Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me at noon next Wednesday, when my guest will be Sarah Tennyson. We will be discussing how to prepare the next generation of leaders for your business. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com, and please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Eric Mendelson from Warburg Realty. We will be discussing the state of the Manhattan real estate market. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. That number again, 805-243-1301. And dial 1 so I know you have a question. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bruce, for having me. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. Let's get started. Tell us about yourself and your company. Sure. Um, So I am an associate broker with uh, Warburg Realty. Um, Warburg Realty is a legacy family-owned real estate brokerage company on the residential side, and it's been in business since 1896. Uh, and me, myself, um, I work with um, sellers, buyers, um, owners of multifamily properties in New York City. What's a legacy company? A legacy company is, is one that's just family-owned. Family um, you know, there's so many brokerages which are, which are owned by corporations, but at, at Warburg, it's family-owned and it's just been passed down. Um, you know, from from generations, and so that and so that's something unique that we have is that we really have a family atmosphere here at Warburg Realty. What impact has the record-setting growth of the stock market had on the Manhattan real estate market? Yeah, I mean, certainly that's a great question. Um, it's had a really good effect, um, you know, on real estate. Certainly, the stock market is doing great. Um, and so that definitely helps um, the prices here in Manhattan because just, you know, so much of Manhattan is based upon the financial service industry. So it definitely has been very, um, it definitely has had a very good effect. Um, you know, the real estate market itself tends to be a lagging indicator of the stock market. Um, but saying that, um, when you actually look um, right now at active inventory in the market, there's, there's currently 500 more apartments on the market in Manhattan at this point compared to a year ago. And if you look at active listings on the market, it's actually at the highest it's been at this point in the year since 2012. Um, so certainly when you see the stock market do very well, um, you definitely start to see um, more active inventory. And if the market drops, you, you would see active inventory being drastically cut down. Well, before we get to inventory, 
I have a general question. What should people moving to Manhattan look for in a home, and what should they avoid? Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, I think that's something that makes, um, you know, Manhattan very unique from anywhere else in the country is that in Manhattan, um, so much of the inventory is kind of in co-ops, which is about the buildings. So in, you know, elsewhere, you're buying maybe a single family home, um, you know, certainly the process is just so much different in New York City. So, you know, I would say there's a couple of points that are certainly important to know. Um, you know, certainly you want to know the, the building rules. Each building has their own rules. Um, co-ops will be a lot more restrictive than condos. Um, things that I would look for um, when, when, when buying a place would be um, take a look at the view, um, try to get a sense if anything can be built that would really impact the view. Um, definitely be aware of new construction in the neighborhood, um, what's coming up. Um, so I think that's one point that I would definitely concentrate on is the view. I would also make sure that you ask about um, assessments in the building, lawsuits. I would ask for a copy of the financial statements. Um, you know, um, and I would also um, you know, certainly look up on the New York City Department of Buildings, um, look up building violations and complaints. And that will really show you um, how well run the building is and if the shareholders um, or the owners um, you know, have major issues with the building. Thank you for that. That was very insightful. But you mentioned condos and co-ops, and a lot of people are confused about the difference. So explain the difference between a condo and a co-op. Absolutely. So in a condo, um, like everywhere else, um, you do get a deed. Um, you are buying real property. In a co-op, you're buying shares in a corporation. So that's a big difference. Um, in a, in a co-op, you're going to be just paying um, maintenance, while in a condo, you're paying property taxes and common charges for the building. Um, I would say also that condos that, that also condos tend to be um, a lot more flexible. Um, condos are open to let's say foreign investment, while co-ops tend to be very very restrictive. Um, they tend to be harder to sublet, um, and the co-ops um, the co-ops can reject you, um, unlike in a condo where it's just a right of a first refusal. And an Airbnb situation. You know, Air, Airbnbs, um, you know, the co-op or condo, they, you know, they wouldn't allow them um, just because it requires going through the board, getting approval. Um, so, you know, if you want an Airbnb place, certainly a, a condo or co-op is not the place for it. Um, and even like a regular rental building, um, you know, they have really just cut down. Um, and there are a lot of landlords who will, who will go on to Airbnb um, and, um, you know, try to see if any of the tenants are doing that. Uh, and there are also a lot of landlords now actually putting into the lease um, certain clauses about Airbnb also. Now let's get to inventory. What makes up the residential real estate market? What types of properties are there? Certainly. So something that makes New York City very different than elsewhere in the country is that approximately 70% of the inventory is just rentals, while elsewhere – that number would be reversed. Um, certainly in New York City, you have your 
condos, you have a co-ops, you have townhouses, and then you would have multifamily properties, which is also known as a rental inventory. One thing that fascinates me, and I've seen a couple articles, and uh, there was something, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago on the news, micro-apartments. Talk to us yep. about those. Certainly. So um, this, you know, this just recently started, um, you know, the, the, um, the came, came out to the market, uh, you know, about a year ago. Um, and, um, you know, the main philosophy behind them is, is that basically they're smaller, but they'll be much better designed and that they won't waste any square footage. Uh, you basically would also share amenities. You would share a gym. Um, so they kind of try to make it like a very social experience. Um, of basically being in a place that's smaller, but it, it, it just, it's just an overall better experience. I kind of like equate it to almost like a like rework of, uh, of housing. So what's shared? Is, uh, are the kitchen shared, the bathrooms? You actually get your own kitchen, just everything is micro. It's, you know, like the, the appliances are smaller. The... Um, you know, the cabinets are smaller, just everything is smaller. Um, and, and so you, you know, you have your own kitchen, you have your own bathroom, but it's just, it's just overall smaller. But they'll have a lot of space um, outside of the apartment. In the building, they'll have like a shared community space, a gym, um, and just very good amenities. So, you know, they'll give you a place where you don't have to sit in your tiny apartment and you can go elsewhere in the building and certainly meet people. Are these regular brick-and-mortar buildings, or are they, I don't know what the word is, recycled um, you know, school buses that are stacked one on top of the other? I've seen that, for example, for the homeless. So um, Yeah, so, I mean, these are generally new buildings. Um, you have people who, I mean, these, these are just, they're generally just totally new. Um, it's not something where um, it's, you know, that they kind of re- recycle, it's, um, it's totally new. And, um, you know, and I think that's one of, one of the things where they really try to get people in is based upon how fresh and clean everything is in the building. So I'm guessing that this would be a younger demographic, probably singles? I would say that's probably their target audience for this. Um, certainly is, is, is um, you know, is, are people like that for sure. And are they condos, co-ops, or, or rent? Just, um, you know, just regular rental inventory on the market. Thank you. Now, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Eric Mendelson from Warburg Realty. We are discussing the state of the Manhattan real estate market. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. And dial one so I know you have a question. And please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Eric, talk to us about the different neighborhoods in Manhattan. For sure. I mean, I think that's one thing that makes Manhattan just such a great place to live is just how unique and different um, every neighborhood feels. Um, You know, whether you're downtown, you're uptown, you're midtown. There's just so many unique neighborhoods, and I think that's what makes Manhattan so special, is um, how different 
the neighborhoods feel from one to another. Um, you know, what, what also I would say is quite remarkable to me is how in Manhattan, you know, you have this, you have this, awesome, you have this awesome place that's been, you know, that's, you know, the, that's basically been populated for over 200 years, and we're still, you know, adding new, new neighborhoods. Um, like in the past 10 years, um, you know, 10 years ago, no one could have told you no man was a neighborhood, and now you go to no man, and, and there's like a lot of, you know, they, they have all these fancy hotels and restaurants, and, you know, so you see a neighborhood like that. Um, and of course, you have Hudson Yards, which is the next big neighborhood coming up in New York City. Um, and that's going to be um, really a tremendous project, um, and it's going to look beautiful um, when it's done. So I think that's what's also amazing about New York City is, is how, um, you know, you do have new neighborhoods still being formed. We have in case you're not unaware, we do have listeners who are outside of greater New York City. So explain to them a bit about those two neighborhoods. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as far as Nomad goes, um, that's actually, it stands for uh, North of Madison Square Park. Um, And it was an area that was just really just, Nothing was really there. It was just it was just really commercial places, and just um, you know there wasn't really anything that would that would attract you to go into that area. And now all of a sudden, um, um, you've seen like a lot of you know a lot of investment into neighborhood um, as far as just hotels and restaurants, and you know certainly the you know the Ace Hotel is you know is certainly a place that everyone wants to go, and um, it's just quite amazing to me that you know that whole entire that whole entire area um, has this in the past 10 years, it's totally changed. Um, and then, of course, regarding Hudson Yards, um, that, of course, is related um, big project um, over the, um, you know, the, the west side yards, um, where basically there was just nothing there. It was just basically, um, it was basically the end of a, uh, I mean, of train lines. And so all you basically have is, is like, just like train, trains there, and there was just, there was just nothing there. Um, and, uh, and now the fact that they're going to build this huge, um, this huge area, which they're going to have um, residential buildings, commercial buildings, retail. Um, there's a subway station there now. Um, it's going to be amazing, and they're going to have parks, and um, it, it's going to look so beautiful. And um, really, it's going to be um, a major change um, into the New York City landscape, and really bring in that whole entire um, West Side in the 30s um, that just really people do not have a reason to travel to. And that's near the Javits Center. Correct. Yes, not not too far away. Yeah. So that's also a draw. Uh, yes, and and the Javits Center, um, you know, also is certainly a, a a huge draw, and I think that that'll definitely help the Javits Center. Is is I mean, is I think that people really felt the Javits Center was just so far out of the way, but now it's so so near this great neighborhood, um, it'll certainly increase I think the visibility of the Javits Center to another level. So it seems that access to transportation is key to building, to public transportation, especially the subway is key to building a neighborhood. Oh, for sure. I mean, you see it already with the Second Avenue subway. Um, now, uh, you know, certainly there's been so much new construction as far as buildings on Second Avenue and First Avenue. Um, and, of course, you know, Phase, phase 2 will, will go further north. Um, up to 125th Street. Um, so, you know, certainly if you, you know, I think that these new subways are, def- are definitely game changers as far as helping those areas to, you know, to really, um, 
to really just become like even like more, you know, like more investments, um, more investments as far as as far as um, um, in, as far as money from the industry into those given areas. Talk to us about property tax. Who pays us? Yeah, so that's certainly a great question. Um, you know, as far as property tax, um, you know, I, you know, I think that you, I think the main Yorkers feel that it's it's way too high, um, and I think one of the issues is that, um, you know, when they put into the the um, the law as far as taxes go, um, it, you know, the most recent law went into effect in uh, 1981. And basically, um, basically what the law mandated is that um, values of condos and co-ops um, will be based upon rental properties of similar characteristics. And so, um, you know, in 1981, um, you know, you really didn't have these, you know, um, all these huge condos that you have right now in Manhattan. And... Uh, and so, and so what happened is that um, right now you have very expensive properties being taxed at a much lower rate. Um, so certainly the more, the more you can afford, the lower tax you're going to pay. And I think that for the average New Yorker, that really upsets them. Um, you know, your average working class New Yorker um, is paying a bigger brunt of the burden than someone who was maybe, you know, having that, um, you know, that like um, $10 million, $20 million place. Who pays the property tax? Is it the resident or the owner? Right. So it's the owner of the property who's going to pay the property tax. Um, you know, so if you're renting in New York City, um, you know, you're not paying any direct rent as far as the t- as far as the taxes, um, it's the owner of the property um, who will be paying the rent, the rent to, to the city. Understood. Now, there are always cries for more affordable housing in the borough. Talk to us about the situation with affordable housing, and while you're at it, throw in rent-controlled housing as well. So, I mean, certainly I would say that Affordable housing options are certainly, you know, they're just, they're just, it's certainly a crisis. It's, um, they're just not a lot of options um, in New York City. Um, and, you know, especially for low and middle income tiers, there's just so much demand and, and there's, just, there's just basically not much there. So it's a, it's a, major, it's a major issue um, that we have right now in the city. Um, I think the way to really be solved is for the city to really partner with the developers and, and to, you know, just find a way to make numbers work where, you know, more affordable options can be developed um, instead of all this new construction only being built for the um, upper class. Um, so I think that that's a major, major issue right now in, in the city. Um, as far as rent-controlled housing, um, it's only actually about 2% um, or so that are actually rent-controlled apartments, um, and and they're and they're really hard to find. They they have to be really passed down from um, you know really uh, generation to to a generation only by a family member of a given unit. Uh, you surprised me because 
from all of the um, news reports. You know, every year you see the demonstrations when rent control is going to go up 1%, 2%, 3%. I always thought there were a lot more rent control well, housing. That's only yeah, 2%. Well, actually, um, well of course, certainly. I mean, and, well, there's rent, there's rent stabilized apartments. So um, there's, there's, there's a difference between rent stabilized and, and rent controlled. Um, oh, okay. And so, yeah, so. So I think that when you include the when you include the rent stabilized, you know, certainly that that brings in a much larger percentage, um, you know, than the than the rent controlled, um, you know, and and of course, you know, you have you, you have people who who push back, you know, and, and like every year you have the you know you have you have these landlords who, um, you know, who push back and you, and against against the residents, and certainly every year, it certainly becomes a issue. Um, and as far as that, but. Um, you know, certainly, um, you know, from the owner's thoughts, you know, like, you know, taxes keep on going up and the, you know, and the cost of, and the cost of doing business keeps on going up. So, you know, it's, you know, there are certainly two sides to the equation um, as, as far as that. I I'm just don't understand the difference. What's the difference between rent stabilized and rent controlled? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, so rent, so rent, so basically rent controlled, um, basically means that um, it can basically be only passed down, um, you know, within a family. Um, rent stabilized is, is certainly very similar, but um, you know, as as far as I'm, I mean, as far as that goes, basically rent, rent stabilized. Um, it's it's really the difference between how much you can really raise the rent year to year. Um, that's really the main difference between between the two. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, when, when we were talking about um, affordable housing, you said something about working with developers. I was under the impression that when a new residential commercial uh, development is going up, the city requires the developer to build a certain number of uh, affordable housing units. I think they had to do that with Hudson Terrace. Uh, am I wrong? Right. So th they have done a lot of that um, over the years um, through the um, through the 421A program um, that the city ran. Um, that actually did expire. So um, where where basically to get the tax incentives um, for the building, they had to offer affordable housing. However, saying that, um, you, you know, still the majority of the, of, the, of the space in the buildings went to the non-affordable housing. So, so, yes, some of it was being built that was more affordable, but it wasn't really, it's, it's not really a lot to, to, make a, to make really a huge dent in the numbers. Thank you for that. I wasn't aware that it expired. Last question. What yes. do you think the future holds? For the Manhattan residential real estate market, I mean, certainly it's you know certainly the future. I mean, I think is great for um, you know for Manhattan. Um, I think in the past couple of years, um, people have moved away from Manhattan, gone to Brooklyn, gone to Queens, Jersey, even Southern Connecticut, um, because I think more affordable options have arised um, where they see more value. However. As we know, Manhattan is still the center of it all. 
you know, you have your shows here, you have your restaurants, you, it, it's just the center of everything, and it's the place where people want to be. And so if people see the value is elsewhere, well, eventually the value will be, will be back from, from Manhattan. And um, I think the future, obviously, a real estate in Manhattan is obviously super, super strong. Well, Eric, I thank you very much. You've given us a wealth of information. I appreciate it. And before I let you go, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So um, the best way to reach out to me, um, I guess, would be my cell phone, um, and that's 516-840-3516. I'll also make a plug, I guess, for my blog, which I have so much great content. It's uh, homebuyingnewyorkcity.com. And I just recently uh, put on a new article about um, five tips um, for investors who are buying in New York City that are overlooked. And, uh, the, and, and so that's really the best way to reach me is, that, is really um, through my blog or on my cell phone. And also in closing, I also, I also just want to thank you, Bruce, um, obviously for your um, hard work and dedication um, to the Chamber over the past five years. Oh, well, thank you very much. And uh, I did announce last that the last show I did may have been my last, but I'm glad I'm continuing until April 5th, which means, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I have two more programs, and I am looking forward to it, and I thank you profusely for the kind words. Thanks again for having me as a guest, Bruce. It was my pleasure. Once again, this is Bruce Hurwitz. Thank you for listening. And have a safe and prosperous week.